Well, good morning, Village Church, and welcome. For those that do not know me, my name is Jake, and I serve on staff here at Village as the youth director, and I am so thankful for every opportunity that I get to not only speak on Sunday nights with the students, but to speak to you all here on Sunday mornings. And so what I wanted to do first, because I am the youth director and I love giving shameless plugs, that is what I'm going to do here. If you are a 6th to 12th grader or you are the parent of a 6th to 12th grader, I want to invite you tonight to come out to Village Students from 6.30 to 8 p.m. And here's what I'm going to promise you. First, if you're a parent, I'm sorry, because I am going to give your children as much sugar as they could possibly want. We're going to eat Doritos. We're going to eat all the spicy things that I don't like. We're going to eat a lot of chips. We're going to eat a lot of cookies. We're going to eat a lot of candy. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. You're going to come. You're going to play some games. So far, it's like every other youth group you've ever been to in planet Earth, right? Hopefully you're going to come and you're going to make some friends that not only you will have here, but that will last throughout your entire lifetime. But then we get to the part that I think is the most important. What we're going to do is we're going to have worship and we're going to have students singing together, but it's not just going to be adults leading them. We have students up here every single week helping lead other students in worship. And then we split off in middle and high school and we have a lesson for each one that is gospel centered that will both challenge you as a student to live for the gospel and encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Parents, I can tell you that over the last few years, I have just seen God doing a work at Village Students. And if you've been here recently, especially for our baptism services, we rarely have a baptism service that is not outnumbered by students coming up and saying, hey, I want to follow Jesus and I want to show the world that I am a follower of King Jesus. And so I have never been more encouraged in youth ministry than I am right now with this group that we have. And what I want for you and for your students is for them to come and experience the life change that I've seen in so many different students' lives through Village Students. And so tonight, if you can come, 6.30 to 8, come for the very least. I will give you plenty of sugar and then send you home because I don't have to live with you. So it'll be a good time. But this morning, I want to continue in our journey through the book of Matthew. And this passage that we're going to be discussing is probably not one that you may have ever heard preached, or if you have, probably have not heard it often. It's one of those verses that you're not going to find on Etsy to get on a a mug or something or on a t-shirt, Christian t-shirt. You're not going to see that. It's because it's a very dark subject. What we're talking about this morning is going to be the account of the death of Judas. And you see, in this passage, what we find is we find out much about our own sin. We find out much about the weight of our sin. And ultimately, we find out the remedy to our just condemnation. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and go to the passage, Matthew 27, beginning in verse 1. Here's what God's word says. It says, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Point number one this morning, sin always breeds condemnation. Sin always breeds condemnation. Last week, Pastor Steve covered that Jesus had appeared before the great high priest. And he said that Jesus actually remained silent. And it wasn't because Jesus didn't have anything to say. Jesus probably had plenty that he could have said. 
but he did not in that moment because they had no authority over him. And so Jesus was showing his grand authority even over the high priests of his day in that moment. And so these men ultimately convict Jesus of blasphemy for claiming to be God incarnate. And this is where we pick up in the text this morning. You see, in the text, we see the chief priests and the elders are now moving forward in the process of sentencing Jesus to death. And one thing that's interesting to note here is that up until this point in the text, everything has happened with Jesus's looking towards Jesus's execution at night, that all of these trials had been happening at night. But according to Jewish law, there had to be a trial during the day for things as severe as what Jesus was getting accused of. And so there had to be a trial during the day on top of any other trials that had already happened. But even with that, they also knew that according to Roman law of that time, they were not allowed to kill anybody. That the Jews could not kill anybody on their own, that they needed to go to their Roman governor, which we know now as Pontius Pilate. And so the leaders of that day, they're gathering to make sure that they're on the same page before sending Jesus off to Pilate to hopefully get him uh, killed, to hopefully get him executed. And so the text tells us that Jesus is led away, he's bound, and he's to appear before another judgment, this time before Rome. But then in the same text, we see that Judas is seen changing his mind. And so Judas realizes what they're doing to Jesus. He gets convicted of that and he goes back to the religious leaders and he tries to give them back their ransom money. He said, surely this will clear my guilt. So I'm going to go and give this back to them. But if you notice in the text, it says that they didn't want it. They no longer wanted him in their presence. Why? Because they had used him for what they needed. And so they simply look at Judas and say, be gone. What, what more use do we have for you? And so I think when we look at this passage, we can quickly skip over a very important phrase, which is where it says Judas saw that Jesus was condemned. Judas saw that Jesus was condemned. See, that word condemnation in the original language means to render a verdict of guilt or to sentence. To render a verdict of guilt or to sentence. You see, in this passage, you may see only one person who's being condemned. And we see through what Judas says here that that's Judas, that Jesus is being condemned. But he's not the only one that's being condemned here. There's another person that stands condemned. And that person that stands condemned is the one who now regrets the betrayal of his rabbi. That's Judas. And so these two men are juxtaposed here in the gospel account. On one hand, you have Judas who's condemned. Judas is condemned though, because he's guilty. Judas has betrayed the son of God. He realizes he's given a death sentence to an innocent man. And so the weight of that is heavy on him. And this condemnation is so bad that he goes before the same men who gave him money to betray Jesus to try to get it back, which only resulted in them mocking him, not caring, telling him to go away and driving the condemnation even farther and farther into his heart. But then there's Jesus. Jesus stands condemned, but not because of any sin that he's committed. That we know through scripture that it says Jesus was sinless. He was the spotless lamb, that he lived his entire life and never sinned. And so we know that he was not standing before an earthly court because of sin. They claim that he was being blasphemous, but that's not his condemnation. Why? Because he truly was the son of God. 
So then we have to ask, why was Jesus condemned? You see, Jesus stands condemned because of the weight of our sin and our guilt that now rests on his shoulders. And what this passage shows us is that regardless of who or when, sin will always bring about the same result for you and me. And that's condemnation. And that's the only true result of sin. This began in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, what's the first thing that they did? They were ashamed. They said, we're naked and they hid from God. That's condemnation. That's guilt. And what Adam didn't understand in that moment was that not only would that affect him, but that would send a ripple effect throughout history that everybody born after that point would be born into sin, would be born with the guilt and the condemnation that sin brings. And this is what the apostle Paul tells us in Romans 5. Verse 18, he says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So I want you to flash forward to your life today. When we sin, when we have that guilt and that shame, we feel the same condemnation that Adam felt before a holy and righteous God. But this is the only true result that sin can ever give us. That Satan in the garden gave Eve the great lie. The great lie that he gave to Eve was, Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you will ascend to be like God. When in reality, what happened was she took of the fruit, she ate of the fruit, and she became an enemy of God. She became against God. She became condemned under her sin before a holy and righteous God. And so friends, the only result of sin is that we all, regardless of who you are and what you've done, stand before God as guilty. Your sin results in condemnation. And friends, that's bad news, but it gets worse than that. Point number two this morning, the effects of sin are always worse than we imagine. The effects of sin are always worse than we imagine. Picking back up in Matthew 27, verse five, it says this, and throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest taking the pieces of silver said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury since it's blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price has been set by some of the sons of Israel. And they gave them the potter's field as the Lord directed me. So Judas, after being rejected by the religious leaders, takes that money and he tries to once again, get rid of his condemnation. He takes the money into the temple and he throws it saying, I don't want this. I want to be away from this. The condemnation is too great that he could not deal with what was happening to him. That he was condemned for putting to death an innocent man. But then what Judas does is the unthinkable. He goes out and he ends his own life by hanging himself. You see, the guilty man ends up hanging himself for delivering an innocent man to death. And friends, this is what I was talking about at the beginning. This is not a passage that you walk away from feeling good. This should make you a little bit uncomfortable. 
it should make you a little bit uneasy because your sin and the condemnation from your sin is a dark and disastrous thing that Judas made the decision that life was no longer an option because of the weight and guilt that he felt in that moment. And so he chooses for his final act on this earth to be an act of sin. Murder is prohibited in the 10 commandments. And instead Judas chooses a life of sin that ends with sin. And so this account of the end of the life of Judas should serve as a stark reminder to us about the weight of our sin and the power that comes with that sin. You see, the famous saying is this, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. I'm going to read that again. Listen closely to that. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Yet for many Christians, we do not see our sin this way. Instead, we may say things like, my sin's not that big of a deal. You know, I serve Jesus in so many different ways. This is just my, my one area of weakness. Sometimes we call it that, right? It's my one area of weakness. Some people like to make it a little bit harsher and they say, well, this is just the demon that I face and we all have our demons. Or some may say, it's just the one time. I've just done this once. It's just one time, one drink, one click, one moment of your life. When in reality, that one moment, if left unchecked, can lead to death. We don't realize that it could kill us in the end. In my early years of youth ministry, I have a memory that sticks out more than the rest. One of my former students, Jeremiah, who had the joy of knowing his entire life at Village Students, who now I've gotten the joy to see him go off to Bible college and want to follow the mission of Jesus there. Don't worry, I asked him if I could share this story, and he said, of course. So I have his permission because it is embarrassing. But I love Jeremiah. I, I've always had a good relationship with him. But we were at camp one year and it was during the worship session. And at this camp, we like went big. This was back when David Crowder was pretty big. So I think David Crowder was leading worship and I was trying to worship and get focused in on the night. And then all of a sudden I feel a little hand tap me on my shoulder and it was another kid. And all they said was, hey, I think something's wrong with Jeremiah. And I was like, okay. So I'll walk over to Jeremiah and I noticed two things. His tongue is about three times the size it should be. He's red and puffy. And I asked what happened. And all they kept saying was one thing. Almond joy. Almond joy. So naturally, I go in a state of panic. Any leader that was there will tell you. Like, I, I, I was worried. I thought, Steve's going to fire me. I'm going to go to prison because this kid's going to die. Like, it's just going to be bad. And so I call his mom anxiously and I say, hey, he ate an almond joy. What do I do? And she just laughed, which I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's happened before. And I'm like, all right, so what do I do? She's like, just give him some Benadryl. And so we gave him some Benadryl. I'm pretty sure Jeremiah doesn't remember anything after that point. <laughs> but we get back to the room that night and I go up to him. I say, Jeremiah, you knew you were allergic to almond joys, right? And he's like, yeah. 
All right. So next question, follow up. So why did you eat an almond joy if you knew you were allergic? And this is what I love about student ministry. This will never get old. Sixth graders are, the, are honest to a fault in their lives. And he just looked me dead in the eyes. Never will forget it. He said, Jake, I just really wanted an almond joy. <laughs> and I thought about that story this week because I think tragically that's how many of us look at sin in our life. It's not a big deal if we give in this one time. Don't you see? I just really want this. Maybe we even go as far as say it's not a big deal. Jesus' blood covers this sin anyway. You may say, I just really need this right now. Jake, you don't understand my life situation. That I know what the Bible says about this situation, but my situation is different. But none of that's true. Tragically, we act like Jesus is our spiritual Benadryl and that our sin is just an issue that we're having due to an allergic reaction when really our sin is something that if we do leave it unchecked and we do not take care of it, it will kill you. It won't just kill you in this world. It'll kill you forever. Eternal suffering, eternal death. That's the way. And that's what James warns us about in James 1, 14 and 15 where he says this, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth what? Death. See, friends, it begins as one mistake, followed by another, followed by another, followed by a week, followed by a month, followed by a year, followed by many years until you get to the point where you cannot deal with your own sin anymore and your whole world collapses. The other mistake we made is we say that it just affects me, that my sin just affects me. No, don't believe that either because your sin starts with you, but then it affects your relationship with your family. It affects your relationship with your kids. It affects your relationship with your work. It affects your relationship with your friends. And if left unchecked, it can even, like Judas, cause one to end their own life on this earth only to go into an eternity that is marked by death forever. Friends, it may not start there, but it sure can end there. And that's the warning of this passage with Judas, that we need to look at our sin and we need to be vigilant about fighting sin in our lives, that we have to be vigilant about repenting of our sin lest we're found in the same desperate place as Judas and choose his foolish choice without hope. But friends, I can tell you that thankfully, we're not left without hope in our fight against sin, that the gospel gives us the solution to our condemnation problem. And so this morning, my third point, repentance is the only response that brings life. Repentance is the only response that brings life. I want to reread a part of the Matthew 27 passage here. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. They may be saying, Jake, why are you rereading that part of the passage? That doesn't seem like something I'm going to draw a lot out of. But I want you to look at it again. 
You see, Judas gives the high priest their money back. Then Judas goes out into a field and kills himself. He hangs himself. After that, the high priests say, well, we got to do something with the money. So they take the field and they purchase that field and they make it a burial ground for those who die in Israel who are foreigners to Israel. And this act was prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever even happened. But you see, Judas's act of betrayal against Jesus did not have the intended effect that he thought it would have. That Judas chose it because he thought it would give him a better life. Judas thought maybe a little bit of money would go a long way in his pocket. Maybe he thought they would not actually convict Jesus of what they wanted to do. And so Judas makes a choice that he will regret forever. Yet when he was confronted with his sin, he did not repent. When he was confronted with the guilt and the condemnation that his sin brought, he did not turn to Jesus, but instead he turned to death. But I want you to notice that not only was this his resting place, that now this place would be called a field of blood in all of Israel. And it would be known as a place of death forever. All that was there is a purpose of a place that resulted in death and decay. And friends, this is the only result of sin and worldly grief. And that's death. It's the only result it will ever give you. This is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. It says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces what? Death. See, the apostle Paul here makes an important point for our daily walk with Jesus. Friends, there is a difference in your life between genuine repentance and grief. Say that again. There is a difference between genuine repentance and grief. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, when he was speaking on the death of Judas said this, he did make a confession, but there was no respect to the deed itself, but only to its consequences. He was very sorry that Christ was condemned. See, friend, Judas never truly repented of his sin. He just simply didn't want to deal with the consequences of his sin. And so if we genuinely want to repent of our sin, then it has to go beyond just feeling sorry for what we've done. But if you can be honest in a moment, how much of our lives and our prayer life is consumed with this type of prayer? We sin and what do we do? We go to God and say, hey God, I'm sorry that I sinned. Please forgive me. But then three hours later, we commit the same sin. And what do you do? You go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Commit it again the next day. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. But what is the one thing that you're actually not by, by your life? You're not sorry. Wives, imagine if your husband just kept saying, I'm sorry over and over again and never changed. Would you agree with that? Would you say that he's changing his life? Of course you wouldn't. Because when you're truly sorry for something, you change. And regret leads you to change. And so if all we ever say is, I'm sorry to God, but we never change, can we truly say that we've repented? And when I'm speaking to the students about repentance, there's two things I always tell them that repentance takes. And these two things are vital. The first is that you turn away from your sin, that you see your sin for what it is. You see the destructive nature of it. 
You say, I see that this could kill me, that this could end my relationship with Christ. It could affect my eternity. And so I reject my sin and I lay it to the side that you lay it at the foot of Calvary. And that's good. That is a part of genuine repentance. But I think sometimes we miss the other part, that repentance is turning away towards something else. So it's not just denying your sin, that's part A, but part B is turning your life towards Christ. That you need to make your life no longer about your sin and making your life about you, but instead it's about running the race towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so your life is not your own. And the reason I say that is because I have seen many a Christian that confess sin, but then they just ended up resulting in them going into other sin or a different sin because they never actually chased after Jesus. They just said, I'm done with this sin, but they never made their life about the gospel. They never made their life about the redemption of Jesus. And friend, I don't want that for any of us. So if we're gonna truly repent, we have to turn away from our sin and we need to turn towards Christ. And that is genuine repentance. And you see, whoever genuinely repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus' work on the cross is no longer condemned. That's that big word that we've been talking about this morning. What do we do with our condemnation? See, there was a time in my life a while ago when I had confessed sin, when I had confessed that I had done wrong in the sight of God, that I had turned away from that sin. But maybe you've been here too, where I still felt the weight of it. I still felt the burden of that sin. I said, how could God forgive me for how many times I failed him? How could he do that? I know the Bible says that he sees my sin as far as the east is from the west. He's removed my transgressions from me, but I still feel it. So what do we do? I can tell you there was one day, it wasn't a Shekinah glory moment. It wasn't that I randomly opened my Bible and I went to this passage and oh, no, that's not what happened. I was just reading through my Bible in my quiet time and I got to Romans eight. And I just wanna encourage every one of you in the room this morning, if you still feel the guilt of your sin and you're a follower of Jesus, listen to the words of this passage and the hope that it gives us. Romans eight, verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Friend, if you are in Christ, you are no longer condemned. But the question that we have to come to is, how does that happen? How do we go from condemned to not condemned? Is it that God just one day looked at me and said, hey, Jake, today is the day. I'm just gonna wipe it all clean. You're good, dude. Everything you've ever done, we're good. I'm not gonna worry about it. It's gone. I'm just gonna deal with it. No, that's not what happens at all. Look at what your sin costs that Jesus stood in your place, that Jesus took your sin on his shoulders, that Jesus stood silent while they condemned him to death for your sin and my sin, that Jesus took the full wrath of, 
Jesus took the full wrath of God on the cross for you. Friend, do you understand that? That the sin that you've committed, past, present, and future, that all of it was on the cross with Jesus, but not just for you, but for every single person who would ever call Jesus as Lord. Do you understand the weight of it? To make it even worse, it says that Jesus, while he was on the cross, said that he was forsaken by the Father. The first time Jesus had anything come between the Trinity. And what was it? It was the vileness of my sin and your sin. It was my wickedness and your sinfulness that made Jesus say, I am forsaken by my own father. Friends, your freedom from condemnation came at an unfathomable cost to God. And yet all he asked of us in the gospel is not to try to work out our own condemnation, is not to be a better person and hope that that saves you. It's to understand that you are condemned. But the good news is Jesus stood condemned for you. And that if you will just trust in him as savior, repent of your sin, that sin will be dealt with. And friend, if you come to Christ and your sin is dealt with, there's only one true result. And that's a result for every Christian on planet earth. And that's life. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, do not be as foolish as Judas. Do not go through this life dealing with your own condemnation because it will kill you, whether that's in this life or the next. But Jesus has made a way for you to no longer feel the weight of your condemnation because he took it on his shoulders. And so friends, if you're stuck in sin this morning, repent, turn away, turn towards Christ. And in the end, if you do that, Romans 6.23 is your verse. You will receive life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, not just in eternity, but right now. A couple application points this morning. Number one, remember sin only brings condemnation. Remember sin only brings condemnation. That your sin only has one result, and that you stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. And that leads to the second one. Don't deny your sin. Deal with your sin. Stop pretending like your sin isn't a big deal. It is a big deal. Look at what it costs Jesus. Your sin matters, but Jesus has made a way to deal with it, and that's repentance. Third, repent by turning away from sin and towards Christ. Repent by turning away from sin and towards Christ. That's the only way we can do this. The only way that you will defeat sin in your life is to repent and truly repent the way that God's word tells us to do. But lastly, if you are in Christ, remember your condemnation is no more. Friend, that if you take away nothing else from what I say this morning, take that away. If you are in Christ, the weight and guilt of your sin is gone. It's no longer on you. Jesus has taken it all. And so live like people who are alive because if you are in Christ, you are fully and completely alive.